from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between Find loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, T.B. Spitzer in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hello everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzerin, and as always, my co-host and cohort, uh, Dave, Farmer Dave, David Heath. How's it going this week? It is well. Yeah. How's uh, how's everything out on the farm? It's getting there. It's that time that we can't talk about very loud out loud. Gotcha. It's uh, where the the boy goats become weathers. Become what? Weathers. Oh, okay. Uh, a, that means a, a goat that has no sex. Ah. Oh. 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 I gotcha. I gotcha. Like a gilding for horses. 
Yes. I feel like we've had this conversation before, probably I'm last sure we year. Probably have. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one thing that I know that's cool that's going on, uh, not this week, but next week, or maybe the week after. Uh, the 11th of September, Dave and I are going to be at Rose City Comic Con talking about what, Dave? We are talking about Cthulhu in comics. Cthulhu. And we, we are going to have two other people with us. Nice. Who, who, who are we going to have with us? We will have uh, Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio. Cool. And Scott Ollis, who is a game designer who designed Maximum Apocalypse and Beta Red uh, role-playing games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scott's been on the show before. Yes. Yes. Uh, and speaking of Cthulhu and comics, today uh, we've got uh, Dr. Brian Seropoulos, uh Professor Brian Seropoulos, talking about video games and Cthulhu. So that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, let's see, we're also talking about two aspects of Narlethotep briefly, and then we will be talking about Oh, those pneumatic tubes getting so noisy. Uh, and then we'll be talking about uh, four classes that you can play in 5th edition, and pretty much uh, any edition prior to that. Maybe not 1st edition, but uh, we'll, 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 we'll... We'll talk about it. In fact, three of them are going to be introduced in AD&D, yep, yep. and one of them will be in the infamous appendix. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk about that infamous appendix. And also, uh, yeah, hey, if, if you want to contact us, uh, contact us at pgttcm.com. If you want to contact us about, like, stuff that you can't find on the audiobooks, uh, pgttcm.com. If you have a book that you would like reviewed, pgttcm.com. If you have, like, audio that you've recorded that you would like to send in, a poem, uh, interesting uh, article that you've written, uh, anything like that. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. So contact us at bgttcm.com. And while you're there, why don't you go and check out our sponsors, one of our sponsors, and one of my favorite sponsors, which I am not drinking right now because it's 420. Um, I am a big fan of copper cow coffee. My favorite way to make it these days is just throw a couple into a big mason jar, pour a bunch of water into it, screw it up tight, stick it in the refrigerator, and drink it the next day. I put about four to five ounces per bag into it, and, uh, it tastes, oh man, it, it's it's cold brew coffee, and it tastes amazing. They've got uh, amazing f flavors like lavender and caramel and all that kind of fun stuff. Dave, you doing all right there? I am doing well. Good to hear. Copper Cow Coffee, check them out in the show notes and at pgttcm.com. We've got a bunch of other stuff there, too. So, Dave, uh, news on... The uh, cat race, uh, which those of you don't know, uh, Dave's uh, barn cat Thomas is in the running for cat president of North America and is doing quite well right now. Uh, it takes a while for cats to vote, so uh, and also cats are less notorious for shenanigans and will just accept a, uh, a, a presidential loss and just be like, whatever, I'm a cat. 
And so, yeah, yeah, uh, Thomas is doing well. Uh, yeah, there was a scandal. What's that? There was a, 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 Thomas was involved in a scandal. Basically, his opponent accused him of not knocking off a cup off a, a dinner table. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. It was, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, trust me, it was my cups. Yep. It was, it was not true. All right. But, you know, that's a, that's a cat scandal for you. That's, that games. is a cat scandal. That is a cat scandal. All right. Well, uh, we will have some uh, Thomas T-shirts coming up in the shop soon. But one thing you need to check out, especially you, Dave, uh, is the uh, I'm a Dirty Barbarian uh, in Latin uh, with a barbarian with a shield and an axe. So it's, it's a classic image of a barbarian with Latin saying, I am a dirty barbarian. So if you How do you say I am a dirty barbarian in Latin? I don't have it in front of me right okay. now, but it starts with uh bar barbarous uh whatever uh I am dirty sum. I mean uh uh barbarous uh something starts with an S uh sum, so yeah. Okay. And it's real Latin, not pig Latin? Correct. Okay, it's not AI, Arium Bay, Erty Day. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Okay. Uh, I, I should maybe make the Pig Latin version for other people. <laughs> for, for all us farmers. Yep, yep. All right, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we've got going on. And, of course, the shop, you can go to pgttcm.com and check out the shop and see what all kind of cool t-shirts we have and you'll find something that you like all right so dave let me tell you about a couple of apps the aspects of narlethotep that i kind of like um okay. today we're going to be talking about the black demon and the black lion uh the black demon uh is uh not known to be worshipped anywhere it's a black furried, uh, snouted monster that fears the light, though it's not harmed by it. Uh, there's a formula found in the Negril Kull in a set of tablets in Aklo. Uh, summoner may control uh, the Black Demon using a certain talisman, though uh, you might get attacked. And the Black Demon is much like the Dark Demon, in its form, but less intelligent. And we'll talk about the Dark Demon when we get to it. And uh, it is from One in Darkness, the story by uh, Isenwill and uh, Lions. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about, and um, I don't know which one this is from, but I've seen images of it and photoshopped statues of it. But it is the black lion. It's it's another sphinx. It's another sphinx. Uh, but this sphinx. this one doesn't have like um, psychedelic. The universe in its face. This one has the universe in its face. This is the one that has like psychedelic radiations of its head going in all directions. Uh, but it's a gigantic sphinx bearing a face of utter darkness. Oh yeah, uh, this form is only appeared once in dynastic Egypt, but the destruction. It wrought was horrendous. It might have 
uh, ties to the beast, which we talked about uh, last week or the week before. And uh, that was a uh, story, uh, Naro uh, Lathis, and uh, that's written by Sargent. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of that kind of reminds me of of Narlahotep, the uh, uh, prose poem of by Lovecraft. Uh-huh. You know where he, where this time in human form. You know, Nalahotep's form basically causes destruction and damage. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, not not really cool, but yeah, no, that's 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 what Fictional we're destruction and damage is cool. Real destruction and damage is not cool. Yeah, yeah, kind of like guns in real life versus guns in video games. Not a big fan of guns in real life, but man, do I know a lot about fake guns in video games <laughs> speaking of which i'm still playing cyberpunk 2077 and i'm slowly doing all the missions all the side side missions so when i show up to the first major mission uh i'm just gonna be like you know i'm 50 well equipped 50 street cred level 50 i'm i'm like you know my my oh man my cool i I'm I'm so cool. People call me Mr. Cool. <laughs> cool. You're no longer V. You are Mr. Cool. I I no no. I'm still V. But I mean, it's like I've got a pretty decent uh, uh, tech and uh, pretty decent or no. Uh, oh man, what do you call it? Um, anyway, uh, I'm 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 good with computers and I'm uh, really cool. <laughs> you're, you're a cryo chill match, Chumbada. Uh, totally, Chumer. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about that's cyberpunk 2077 or just kind of like um basic terms of cyberpunk the the game series not the uh literary genre <laughs> which we've talked about in the past on the show so look in the ba- uh, back catalog and me and dave will talk about cyberpunk in various ways all right, so um, up next we are gonna be uh, Dave's gonna be talking to Brian, and then after that we're gonna be talking D and D on D and D, and we're gonna be talking about some character classes. So stick around for that, and we'll see you in a bit. This is Dave's corner of the podcast. It is awesome, and it's gonna go fast. It's back and you may have noticed that db is not with me but that's okay he'll come back and instead we have brian seropolis and uh, brian uh, maybe if you, you could just maybe tell our listeners a little bit oh i forgot to warn you so either db will cut this out or uh, the audience but i actually do live on a working farm uh, and okay. i don't know if you heard that 
But every once in a while, there is a rooster named Ralph who uh, <laughs> hands by my, and I don't think you heard it, but I did. And he likes to yeah. sometimes comment on what our guests are saying. So, okay. um, so um, don't worry, he's positive. He, he, <laughs> he builds people up. Um, so, but I, yeah, I do actually live on a, a working farm. So you may be hearing some farm noises in the background. Okay, well, that's great. So before I was interrupted by a rooster that no one else heard, uh, Brian, maybe could, if you could tell us, uh, our listeners, a little bit about you. Yeah, well, thanks, David. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm from Oregon originally, but I'm currently in California. I teach uh, college at uh, Stan State University. Mostly I teach um, in the English department, English literature and humanities, occasionally some composition courses. And um yeah, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I most of my work originally kind of focused uh, on Gothic fiction, specifically 19th century British literature, which is what my main area of expertise is. But I've also been really interested in kind of their geek culture descendants, so uh, comics and video games. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm coming from uh, for our talk today. So. Excellent. And so, you know, of course, the audience doesn't want to hear it, but I want to say it anyway. So you and I are almost exact opposites. I was born and raised in California and moved to Oregon. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah. I, I am from the 805. Okay. Well, Ventura County. But, again, okay. yeah. people aren't paying good podcasting money to hear us talk about our homes. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, – I and I love – that turn of the century horror, uh, the the and, and the pre Lovecraftian, and I love Lovecraft, but I love the things that influenced Lovecraft. Um, so, what are some of the things that you you study or, or teach about it, or want to share with us? Yeah, so um, I, I love pre Lovecraftian stuff too, and uh, some of my favorites, um, Arthur Machen, obviously, uh, the Great God Pan is so good and so important and influential but i mostly i'm a big sheridan lefanu guy i don't know if you know much about lefanu or read a lot of him so when we're maybe <laughs> i have a little, i have a little theory about uh lefanu oh okay let's hear it so so let's throw this out so Car uh carmela is probably his classic right yes now carmela hates god right that's mm -hmm. a character trait she hates god Yes. Because she's a vampire. <laughs> right. But I think that has a lot to do with Lafanu's growing up. Or not going because he was raised by a chaplain mm -hmm. and his wife, and you maybe you can tell more about it, became ill and mentally ill. She really grasped onto religion mm -hmm. as this attempt to save her life. And and I think that we see this in his writings. There's this atheist stroke is from the experiences of him seeing his wife going crazy and grasping on religion. Yeah, and um, I, I agree, although I think I'm going to go a slightly different way with this, which is that, um, yeah, I mean, the death of Lefany's wife, he wrote about a lot and it really affected him. And it happened kind of slowly and over time. Mm -hmm. And so it was brutal. But yeah, so he, part of what he turns to, I think, is uh, I don't want to say spiritualism because I'm not sure if that's quite accurate. But to spiritualists like Swedenborg, he starts reading and he starts working Swedenborg's 
stuff mm. into his writing. And Swedenborg is kind of, I haven't read a huge amount of it, but mostly I've read it through Le Fanu, but it's okay. pretty fascinating. Uh, the idea that there are whole choruses of angels and demons and each of them correspond to specific, not only like specific uh, temperaments and emotions, but even specific people. Like you might have your own kind of personal demon. Um, you mentioned Carmilla, which of course is great. That 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 appears in um in In a Glass Darkly that collection. Yeah. And the ver the very first story in that collection, Green Tea, uh, is about a reverend right who gets possessed by this little demonic green monkey, a very Swedenborgian sort of monster. It's a really fantastically and a really bleak. It's a lot of his stuff is so wonderfully bleak sort of story about a guy who is, you know, hounded until he basically kills himself because he can't deal with this possession that he's experiencing. This little foul mouthed little demon monkey. Yeah, no, no I, yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan uh, of Lafanu. Um, what is uh, Uncle Cyrus is the first locked door mystery? Hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose so, right? Yeah. So that is okay. good. Uh, are there, I mean, we, and, and I realize, you know, we could sort of go off probably for hours on this, but what what, what other um, pre-Lovecraftian uh, influences do you, you like or or really enjoy or would recommend? Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, I mean, you mentioned Mocking and Lefanu, and those are probably two of the biggest ones as far as the kind of pre-Lovecraftian stuff, but mm. I also like just... 19th century horror generally um stevenson uh obviously bram stoker um read a bunch of it weirdly my work is all mostly about kind of the non-supernatural gothic so i write about okay. uh, great expectations and uh little gothic elements that kind of permeate otherwise realist stories uh is also kind of a big area of emphasis and kind of interest for me i kind of like uh a lot of people make fun of it as an anti-Gothic work, but um, Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey gets called, you know, a Gothic parody. And in some ways it is, but I've always argued that what Northanger Abbey does is it takes kind of the silly 18th century Gothic stuff like Radcliffe and kind of oh. tries to make it real, right? <laughs> tries to put it in a, sure. in, in a context that actually her readers would have understood as existing in a reality somewhat like theirs. So, um, yeah. And stuff, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm really into, of course. Oh, excellent. and Frankenstein, obviously. I'm teaching Frankenstein classic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, probably a Blackwood. I've read, I've read a little Blackwood, but but not very much. Yeah. I, I need to. That's a blind spot. Well, that's if there wasn't something for us all to, uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 all we all gotta have something to go for uh, goals for sure um yeah so should we start talking about uh video games <laughs> what a transition yeah let's go now i'm gonna i'm gonna be completely honest about video games i love video games as culture and story i can't play video games mm. i make people walk in the wall ah, but yeah. i love the art i love the story i love i love watching my niece and nephew and my children their face playing video games so there's probably a lot you can teach me about video games but what, what are some what are some i'm i'm thinking you're sort of specializing on horror video games mm -hmm. yeah so 
I mean, I'm here mostly to start talking about From Software stuff and, and Bloodborne, which is a horror game. Uh, the, the funny thing is that when I was first starting to play games, I wouldn't consider myself a horror game fan. Honestly, as much as I love horror stories, horror video games are just too scary for me to really play. I just I don't like being frightened in that sort of visceral uh, jump scary sort of way. So I don't really play them. I started playing um, just mostly just kind of action games and role playing games. And uh, basically, like a decade ago, my my wife bought me a copy of this game called Dark Souls by From Software that had gotten a lot of buzz. Okay. And I played it for an hour, and it's this weird kind of gothic fantasy game. And I sucked at it, and I died again and again, and I hated it, and I uninstalled it, and thought I would never play it again. And that was it. That 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 was it for that whole kind of experience. And then um, and then the same company from software from Japan released this game in 2015 called Bloodborne. Uh, and then that just that that just changed everything for me. Uh, that's my favorite game of all time. I'm gonna get into it in a few minutes as to why. I think okay. what it does with fantasy is interesting. What it does with horror is fascinating. And of course, the way it plays with Lovecraft, I think, is just inspired and brilliant and really, really, really interesting. So I'm, I'm going to throw out another personal theory and, and you feel free to shoot it down. But the things like video games and tabletop role playing games and even except some, you know, just traditional, uh, you know, tabletop games, they're unique in that. You even though it's artificial, you actually become scared. I can watch a movie mm. and be scared for that person on the screen. Yeah. I can read the author's fear and get scared. But there's something about, you know, and I'm a lot more experienced with, say, role-playing games. There's something about Dracula's coming after you. Maybe your character, maybe your guy on the sheet, but it's it's more real to me. Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, as someone who's mostly a literature person who started working in video games very recently, it's been a tough sort of kind of adaption, adaptation to start thinking about them. Because, yeah, like in, in Dracula, you can you're reading that and you can be scared for the characters. And because you're scared for the characters, you are a little scared yourself. But there's also that inherent remove, right? Like uh, Lucy died if she existed, but she did not you know, 150 years ago or whatever it was, right? It's like, exactly. um, um, but when you're playing, you know, a role-playing game or a video game, even if you're playing a named character that isn't you, you are embodying that sort of character. And so whatever happens is happening to you in a sense, in a much more direct way than it does in fiction, uh, which can up, kind of up the tension in certain ways, I think. Um, and so that that is an interesting sort of, it is an interesting difference, and I think that it, it makes it harder to speak about them in certain ways than it is to talk about a story. The other thing about a story is that a story is close-ended, right? Once yeah. it's written, then you read it, and it exists as it is. Um, a game is not exactly close-ended, and what I mean by that is it could have a beginning and an end, but also you can, in a video game, you know, die at any point, in which case the story effectively ends for you until you start playing it again, right? And so... That also makes it very different and fascinating and also difficult to talk about in some respects. Yeah, and, and some games, you know, they're sort of open world. You've done the quest, but you can still go out and explore. There's still things to do even after you've done the storyline. Right, yeah. You finish the entire story of Skyrim or something, but then you can still go back into the world and there will be another hundred hours of, like, 
you know, monsters to kill, <laughs> treasures to get, et cetera, et cetera. And that is, that is a very different experience. And, uh, you know, playing some of my favorite games, I've often thought, you know, I've put three to 500 hours in mini games and it's crazy because I haven't put that much time into any novels, but that's because I've read Frankenstein maybe a dozen times, but it only takes three to four hours to read it. So yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't have the quite same level of amount of content. Now the content is more focused often <laughs> than true. a game, which can be messy. And, and the game, it, the endings can change. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bloodborne, for instance, has three kind of different endings and um, each of those endings, your character and the state of the world is very, very different in each one. And so that's interesting, too, because someone who plays through a game like that once will see the ending and that will be how it ended for them. And then later they'll talk to their friend and their friend will say, no, 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 that's not how it ends. And it's like this. Right. And then you got to either play it again or you got to go to YouTube and watch the endings you didn't get or it's. So, so I I am, I, I don't know, other than the name, I don't know anything about Bloodborne. So coming, what can you tell somebody like me who's just sort of a, 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 a novice in this case? Yeah, of course. So let me start, before I get to Bloodborne, let me talk about the Souls games, which are the kind of progenitors of it. So okay. uh, these are games made by From Software, which is kind of a medium-sized Japanese developer. Uh, the person who's been kind of the creative director and main force behind them for the last 15 or so years is a guy named uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki, a guy who joined the video game industry relatively late in life, not until his 30s, I want to say. Mm. Um, and he joined from and worked on some of the games they were working on. And then there was a troubled fantasy game that they were trying to build that wasn't coming together. He moved over to take control of it, and he basically said that, you know, the game was in trouble, and so if, I, if, if it was a disaster, it wouldn't be my fault, but because it was in trouble, I could do whatever I wanted with it. And so he made this really fascinating, difficult, really weird game called Demon Souls in 2009. It was not really a hit. In fact, Sony, which had paid for it, famously refused to have it basically released in the U.S. They had to pay someone else to do that. Um, but it was it was dark. It was gothic. It was kind of existentialist in its sort of viewpoint. A lot of her fantasy games are heroic, right? You're a guy with a sword or a spell and you go through the world beating bad guys and eventually you save the world. Demon Souls and the games that followed it are not heroic in that sense. There is no saving the world. The world is basically doomed and all you can really do is extend the doomedness a little bit longer and hopefully it'll finally collapse sometime in the future and so after demon souls there was a trilogy called dark souls which are similar they're all european kind of medieval fantasies again kind of like tolkien but super depressed right there is no winning uh in the dark souls games the basic goal is not to save the world it's to reignite this kind of great fire that keeps everything the way it is but the fire is going to go out and so all you can do is extend the world for another couple centuries or millennia until someone has to do it again. So it is a dying world. All you're doing is extending the doom a little bit longer into the future. And so that, that seems very Lovecraftian to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier. It's there are little aspects of like Lovecraftian kind of creatures and aesthetics in them. Uh like for instance. 
Um, you know, in Dark Souls, there's this uh, boss. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. That it rises out of the water, and its head looks like this cute little like dinosaur, Diplo- like Diplodocus or Brontosaurus head. But okay. then when it pulls fully out of the water, its entire chest cavity opens up into this gaping maw. So it's somewhat Lovecraftian in its aesthetics, that creature. In Demon Souls, there's full-on mind flayers, that are just mm. like D&D mind flayers, which, of course, are little baby Cthulhus, right? And so yeah. there are little aspects of Lovecraftian content, monsters and stuff, but mostly not. Mostly it's standard European fantasy. You fight, like, you know knights and skeletons and zombies and these sorts of things that's the content but in tone it's very lovecraftian in the sense that you can't win (laughs) all you can do is extend doom you're not a hero you're like the you're like the chosen undead but you're only chosen temporarily for this part in time and then eventually you'll fail and someone else will succeed or fail after you you are not anyone important you're just a humanity is not important and, and the universe doesn't care if you win or lose? Exactly. Yeah. It u- utterly indifferent to you, really. You'll, you'll ignite the flame for a while longer, or you won't. And, that, and then the game will end, right? So, um, Dark Souls and Demon Souls are their kind of series of kind of European fantasy. So, um, the game I mostly want to talk about is Bloodborne. That's 2015. It came out for the Sony PlayStation 4, uh, I believe. Yes. And... Um, I think I mentioned at the beginning, the first time I played Dark Souls, I played for an hour and said, I can't take this. I never want to do it again. And then I saw the trailer for Bloodborne and I was like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. Basically, it takes place in kind of a uh, a fantasy version of maybe an 18th century Central Europe. It looks mm. like it might be Germany or Czechoslovakia, perhaps. Uh, the name of the city itself was called Yarnum in the game. But that's the kind of the aesthetics, 18th century Central Europe. Okay. And the first trailers show this guy in a trench coat with like this sawed blade running through these streets, cutting up like werewolves into bits, basically werewolves, rabid dogs. It looks like a gothic game, right? And um, that's how it sold. I I believe when it was in production, its code name was Project Beast. But the whole thing is kind of a ruse. You get the game and you start playing it and you're killing these werewolves and there are witches and there are uh, these things called vile bloods, which are basically vampires or similar to vampires. So you're like, oh, okay. So in this game, I'm fighting all these, you know, Western European folkloric creatures, and it's a gothic story. Okay. Except, right, it, that's all kind of a fake out. The entire story is actually this very heavily mythos-influenced story about cosmic aliens, ancient gods, mm. uh, humans trying to wield their power. And the kind of superficial story about werewolves and stuff is just kind of a result of some of these other sort of things that happen in the story. Oh, okay. So it's like like the onion. You just get deeper and deeper, deeper layers. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that is a good metaphor, right? Because it definitely looks like the thing that it is. I, I went back and watched the very first trailer. I believe it's called The Hunt Begins. It's on YouTube. And you'd have no, no hint at all that there's anything kind of mythosy or Lovecraftian going on at all from that trailer. It is utterly a surprise that gets sprung at you about halfway through the game. And it's a wonderful one. I mean, when, when it happens, you're like, oh my God, this is what this game is about. Well, that's that's fascinating. And then you kind of get more into the lore of it, how it plays out, et cetera, et cetera. So 
did the fans accept that or was there a lot of uh, upset people upset or I mean I think they largely they loved it I mean there might have been some people who were dismayed one of the fascinating things about kind of Lovecrafting adaptations is that there are so many movies obviously and there are mythos inspired books but really like video games have become one of the largest places for Lovecraft um, adaptations yeah. and so I think a lot of fans maybe were surprised based on the way the game looked. They were surprised maybe based on the fact that Dark Souls and Demon Souls were just European fantasy, right? Um, I think largely, largely it's seen as, as a success. And, and in my mind, it, it really is a success. And I think part of the reason that it is successful is because Bloodborne is not giving you Ezathoth or Cthulhu, right? Yeah. It's giving us a world very much inspired by monsters and ancient gods like that but they're all newly created for the game. Okay. The problem with doing a, a Cthulhu game that actually has Cthulhu is that the person playing the game also has a Cthulhu plushie sitting right next to them. Yeah. Right? It's like the familiarity breeds, if not contempt, at least passivity, right? Or at least, like, it's hard to be afraid if Cthulhu shows up on a screen. We've seen Cthulhu too many times now. Yeah. So what you have to do is create something that is somewhat similar, otherworldly, menacing, indescribable, but that's something that there's not a Hello Kitty version of. Right. So I I completely get that. Yeah. Um yeah, so I'm trying to think of how much it's worth going into like various aspects of the lore. I guess one one of the things I guess I'll, I'll mention a few things because I I want to talk a little bit about how it like channels Lovecraft, but also think I think it subverts some Lovecraftian stuff in some interesting ways. Um, at least, and that's kind of what got me excited to start kind of researching and writing about the game. Okay. Have you read um Have you read From Beyond? It's not one of Lovecraft's more famous stories, but um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. With, 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 with the tingle gas machine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The little like jellyfish or whatever that <laughs> that are flying through the air. Yes. The way that the Lovecrafting stuff works in Bloodborne is similar to that story in that these creatures, there's some of them exist all around us, but we're just not familiar. We, we don't recognize them. We can't see them, right? In, They're uh, not from, on, our on our They don't resonate the same way we do. Yes. And so there's this part in Bloodborne, after you've done all the gothic -y sections, you come to Bergenworth College, and that's where some more of the more alien insectoid monstrous more lovecrafting sort of monsters start showing up in that zone and you're like what's happening what are these weird insectoid creatures you kill the big boss there it's this creature called rom the vacuous spider it's a very lovecraftian sort of creature mm -hmm. and then when you do that the moon of the world descends like it literally comes lower in the sky and the world changes and actually in a sense it doesn't change it's just that you now get to see it now that you've done this thing the real true nature of reality, which has been hidden behind this, I don't know, this monster or whatever, this spell it creates or whatever, is now dispelled. And you see that there are these giant insectoid Lovecraftian monstrosities called amygdalae that are everywhere in the world. Like mm. the same city streets that you're running to an hour earlier killing werewolves are actually covered with these giant creatures. And they're really terrifying looking. Uh, they're very Lovecraftian sort of monstrosities. And you realize that they were always there. They were always there. You just didn't see them. Okay. <laughs> and now you know the true the true state of things. So I think From Beyond may have been an influence there. It's definitely a similar sort of aspect. Um, 
uh, of that in in Bloodborne. The main plot of the story has to do with the fact that people um, in the city had found that there were remnants of old gods in the labyrinths beneath the city, and that people started drinking their blood, basically. Because it gave, uh, yeah, these miraculous healing properties. Of course, drinking the blood is what ends up causing all the, the whole this whole beast plague. The reason that the people in Yarnum are turning into vampires. I'm oh, not vampires, sorry. <laughs> Werewolves, or whatever they are. Creatures, beasts, some of them are more simian. Is because they've been drinking this blood. And so the healing church, which is the main force in the city, has been rose to power by giving the people its magical blood, basically healing all their harms. Um, but because of that, people slowly start turning into monsters. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so that's what it looks like. Okay, you come to a new town, people are turning into monsters. Well, why? The reason is because the great ones, right? Who've <laughs> been here since time immemorial. And we've been trying to gain some of their power for our own, which of course has gone horribly horribly wrong as these things tend to do so so it, it you scratch the surface and instead of sort of these normal monsters then you've got these more lovecrafty and powerful monsters underneath yeah exactly right very early on you'll get little hints of it there's like this creature that's kind of like a mind flayer but he's wearing rags and he's kind of rabid so kind of like mm. a i don't know like a little like a little feral sort of mind flare, and you're like, that's kind of weird. That doesn't seem to fit with what we've seen so far. Again, back in the kind of the, the first half, the gothic part of the game. But then when you get past that halfway point, all of the creatures are like that, and you realize that was just kind of foreshadowing, right? Sure. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, and um, the game has this really audacious, it has three endings I already mentioned, and in one of them, basically you wake from the nightmare that you've been kind of trapped in, the, the, this whole dream world, probably based on some of Lovecraft's dream stories. Okay. Um, you wake from it back into the daylight and the plague might be over. It's kind of unclear. <laughs> Maybe it was all a dream. That's one of the endings. Uh, but the other two endings have to do with the uh, these actual like kind of Lovecraftian beings. And one of them you become basically... Uh, should I say... Spo- uh, this is big spoilers. Because okay, yeah. Seen, so so spoilers. I'm ruining the ending of the games. Fast forward however many seconds you think this will take. <laughs> so, um, in one of them, you become the thrall of one of these great ones, basically keeping the dream alive. And in the final ending, you actually are reborn as a little infant kind of great one. Mm. And it's really ambiguous. Like, are you some form of god now? Are you just a slug? Right? A lot kind of, of like a Lovecraftian end of 2001? I, yeah, that's true. Right. That's a good analogy. Yeah, just like a what is it? Frank Bowman is that his name is, or is that the other character? That's the other one. Uh, David Bowman. Frank David Poole. Bowman and Frank Poole, right? Yeah, Bowman gets. Is he the one that gets reborn as the yeah, Dark Child? Yeah. yeah. So same thing here. You get reborn as this kind of weird alien space slug, and are you now a god, or are you just a, like a literal slug? It's very unclear. The game never answers that for you. You just have to kind of you have to think about it. It makes you think about everything that you've just done. <laughs> so, which is fascinating. Yeah, it, I mean, it does sound like a, a really interesting game. Now, uh, is there maybe, uh, before we run out of time, is there any other games you'd like to share with us? Um, Yeah, I'm obviously the big one right now is, is for, I mean, from From Software, their new game is Elden Ring, which is came out in February. 
It sold almost 20 million copies at this point. It was the number one game of the year. So probably a lot of your uh, listeners have at least heard of it if they haven't played it. That is a bit more like Dark Souls in that it is European fantasy, but also the plot behind that somewhat Bloodborne-like does have a kind of Lovecraftian aspect to it where there's Mm. basically some sort of elder presence kind of infused this woman, Merica, with its godhood, which made her create this whole family of gods and demigods. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to spoil the new game quite as much as I will spoil the seven-year-old game, but... uh, Elden Ring is great and does some of the similar things Bloodborne does in a more traditional fantasy setting. So, And, and that's the one that uh, George R. R. Martin did a little bit of the world building in, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, what about what about you? Do you have any uh, pro- uh, projects or anything you want to share? Um, I mean... I'm excited to be teaching this class that I have this year. I'll tell you about it for a second. It's kind of inspired by my work on Bloodborne, which is that uh, I teach this Humanities 3000. It's Explorations in the Humanities. It's a themed course. And this year, uh, 2022, 2023, my theme will be monsters. So oh, nice. we'll be reading lots of stories, reading comics, watching films about, sure, you know, lots of some Lovecraft, but also, you know, vampires and werewolves, all, all, all the monsters, Frankenstein oh. doing next week. Uh, to kind of get at some of their cultural meanings, their psychological meanings, their sociological meanings. Why are we still so obsessed with monsters and how can we use them to really think about ourselves and our world? So teaching that all this year, just oh. started really looking forward to it. So uh, That does sound like fun. Now, so sort of our signature question here. So everybody kind of gets this ass and I know I'm kind of throwing this out at you, but if you could be in charge of any artistic or creative project don't worry about money you don't have to worry about copyrights whatever it is any format you've got it what what would it be i guess and this might be partially kind of a scholarly project but my dream thing is to do a work on alan moore's 19th century sort of 19th century set fiction right Uh, From Hell, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, other stuff that he's done set in that time period. The way he kind of translates Victorianism into modern prose in the strange, hyper-real way he does, I think is fascinating. I think what he does with characters from that period, like in League, is really interesting. So I guess my dream project would be to write a partially scholarly, partially popular book, like a coffee table book with, you know, all the great art from those comics in it. That's my dream project. (laughs) that that would be amazing well thank you so much and i've actually learned quite a bit and um we hope to have you on the show again soon i hope so this was really fun i really appreciate you having me on well thank you hey thanks so much for putting up with it being uh yeah normally we're a lot more organized it's just yeah yeah no it's, it's no problem hey everyone it's me db new sponsor on the show clary Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. 
hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. stuck around and you're listening to this now we have uh some really cool character classes to talk about right this very moment uh we're going to be talking about the fighter the monk the paladin and the ranger and when it comes down to it i'll be honest i've played a monk twice and once was in second edition or 2.5 and the other one was and 3.0 when it comes to paladins i've never played a paladin and i've never oh i played a ranger in second edition and i've played a fighter in every edition of dungeons and dragons there is normally the first thing i try and play in any edition is a fighter just to kind of get an idea of how to roll the dice and you know uh how to build your character like just the basics of trying to get the handle on the rule set you know but yeah 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 but uh once i understand the mechanics enough then it's time to move on to uh either a rogue or a wizard, or, of course, the bard. Uh, <laughs> so, Dave, um, let's... let's uh, Anything that you want to say briefly about the monk, the paladin, or the ranger before we get into it too much? Well, well, just when we break down to the individual ones, with the exception of Fighter, all of these were introduced in AD&D. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, like I said, monks were sort of this were originally with bard they were in the appendix okay of the player's manual 
And the thing that sort of about the monks that made him almost unplayable uh-huh. in AD and D was their hit points were D four. Oh, gee. <laughs> and you started out with so you first you get two D four. Yeah. And then it's four afterwards, and, and which doesn't quite make sense for you know a martial combat character. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that they kind of justify this is that when you got up to the higher levels, you could basically just touch people and kill them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, I'm not really sure about the second level. I, I didn't really go through a second D&D second phase, mm-hmm. but by three they kind of got it down to the monks that we know. And my understanding is that they skipped. The, the monks were never officially released in four. Or if they were, they came in much later. They weren't in any of the original books. Interesting. I, I kind of skipped four too. So, I, I skipped four <laughs> but they were definitely returned in five. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, yeah. No. No. So, uh, let's start it with the uh, the fighter. We've got the fighter, kind of a basic, not. not it's a base class, but it's not basic. Um, it's uh, 1d10 uh, per level hit dice. Uh, let's see. Uh, let um, All armor, all shields, all simple weapons, all martial weapons. Um, yeah, no. Best thing for them is strength and constitution, in my opinion. Uh, you get to choose from acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, perception, and survival, which, depending on your campaign, you know, it, go with what you think is best or what you plan on doing with it when you choose your martial archetype at level 3. But prior to that, you choose your fighting, fighting style, which you get to choose from all kinds of cool stuff like load you dumb computer <laughs> well, I was trying to figure out what these ones were I go, I don't know those ones yeah. uh, I know a defensive is out there where you get a, a plus one on your defense or your armor class yeah yeah. oh my oh fighting styles you get things like archery, defense, dueling uh, great weapon fighting. Uh, let's see. Uh, two weapon fighting. You know, those, uh, there, there's, there's some third party ones that I'm not mentioning that are popping up. So anyway, but yeah, I know. Um, and you can, uh, check out other books, of course, and look around the internet for, uh, you know, fighting styles. Uh, then of course, let's see. Um, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that comes with, uh, being a fighter. You get, uh, martial archetype features and extra attacks and ability scores and all kinds of fun things like that. And, uh, let's see. And the, back in, you know, basic Dungeons and Dragons uh-huh. and, you know, advanced Dungeons and Dragons... What they did instead of around two and three, they said, "Well, let's create things like give fighters more feats, special yeah. abilities." But in the original one, what they did was 
instead of give bonuses to fighters, they handicapped everyone else. Yeah. So magic users could only use darts and daggers and staves. Clerics could only use blunt weapons. Thieves were given just couldn't go past leather armor. Sure. So basically, instead of giving fighters advantages like they do now, what they did is they didn't put in all the things that nerf the yeah. other characters. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. And the main thing, though, is they couldn't have magic. Yeah, yeah. And if you wanted to get around that, at least on the uh, basic and expert, and then there's also an, is you play an elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And elves were basically, in the first, they were basically fighters slash uh, magic users. Yes. Yeah, no. Um, they, in the past, uh, I'm not quite sure how it works nowadays with feats, but in the past, uh, fighters could take feats, and if you were sneaky about it, not sneaky, but if you, you knew your way around it, you could figure out ways to make it so that your fighter was a magic user, or you could take character classes, stuff like that, uh, in past editions, uh, notably uh, 3.5, especially in, like, D&D &D and Pathfinder. There were so many, like, third-party things and stuff that was produced for, like, Dragon Magazine that, mm -hmm. like, spruced up your fighter, so you just didn't have, like, the cookie-cutter fighter every time, uh, kind of like you had in, like, second edition and first edition. Uh, that's one thing that I do like about the 3, 3 point, well, from 2.5 to, you know, no fourth edition, 2.5 to now, uh, you had options to make it so that you didn't have, like, the same fighter every time. Unless you like playing the same fighter every time, then, you know, just make the same fighter every time. That's cool with me. <laughs> yeah, I know. And... Feats have kind of been... So feats are still there. Yeah. It's just much more difficult to get to feats. You don't get a free one as a human. You don't get first starting. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think instead of every three, it's every four now. And you get that if you don't take the bonuses, mm -hmm. uh, the stat bonuses. Yeah. So feats are there. They're still cool. Uh, unless you do um, uh, alternative human you know, rules. Oh, sure, you yeah. don't get a plus one. But what five does to compensate that is the subclasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. And subclasses are great. And where you do things where uh, Eldritch Knight, where you get a few spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And, um, and of course, there's always multi-classing. <laughs> yeah. As I've said before, uh, multi-classing as a half-elf or elf has is, is always been fun in, like, earlier classes. I haven't done it in 5th edition because I haven't been able to play enough of it, unfortunately, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about fighters before we move on to the next? Uh, other than, you know, they're just not necessarily the dumb muscles, so don't nope. put... Don't just put signs behind them that say "Kick me into Warvish" because they're gonna beat your character up. Yep, yep. Speaking of beating your character up, monks. So, so yes, monks started out originally in advanced, 
D&D. And uh-huh. like I said, they were in the back in the appendix. They were an unofficial class published in an official book. Okay. Um, and the main thing about those monks that were really... Um, what's the hit points? Because oh, you, you only, you only got... down, but yeah. You only got 4D. Okay. Um, and it just did Almost no one I knew played it unless the GM or DM, um, you know, changed the rules to raise it up to 8D hit dice. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and these are very much set on, of course, um, Asian tradition as opposed to Occidental monks with, like, yeah. shaped heads and mm-hmm. writing skills, which are more traditional clerics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, if I were to go back and to the mind of Gygax, I would say that and and these are monks are probably more based on Hong Kong movies than anything I, else. I was gonna say uh Gygax and his buddies in uh Wisconsin or oh goodness, I don't remember where Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, were uh, chilling like villains watching Kung Fu and went like, you know would make a cool D&D character? <laughs> watching David Carradine be like, yeah, we could be like that, man. <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, they got such great uh, skills to choose from as acrobatics, athletics, history, insight, religion, and stealth. Yeah, making it more of the uh, classical, like, Shaolin monk as opposed to uh, the Franciscan monk. So, yeah, more... Yeah, more... more, more, more uh... <laughs> And I don't even know uh, how, how much people know of Kung Fu or the... Uh... The, the, the follow-up, the uh, Kung Fu, the legend continues. <laughs> Which I I remember both playing in my house as a child or uh, and as a teen and whatnot, or uh, whenever they were on, uh, my dad watched the crap out of those. Uh, you know who, who, who the part Kane was written for? Uh, Bruce Lee. Yes, he was. Yep. But he was too Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was too Asian for an Asian role, which, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah, no, no. There's, there's like multiple comedians who have done bits on uh, David Carradine and David Carradine not being Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, I don't know. Anyway, uh, we're not talking about, you know, yeah. David Carradine. We're talking about monks. So, um, weird thing about monks uh-huh. to come on third level. Sure. And I know a couple guys have played at this, but the game, they started associating monks with halflings. Interesting. And if you look at if you look at the there'll be some art, but you look at like all the monk weapons, uh-huh. like the the uh, nunchuck. Uh-huh. They'll make. They basically listed a small size version of all of those for damage, and I think they usually did like a step down or a minus one. Okay. But yeah, so around three, it was almost like it felt like they were pushing monks as halflings. Huh. And before that, originally, halflings couldn't be clerics. 
No. It, uh, they basically, uh, Yolanda, Yolanda, the, the mm-hmm. goddess, comes in. But originally, they didn't really have a religion. But they then created a pantheon for them. Uh, but it did, at least uh, to me, a casual look reading, it really seemed they were kind of pushing monks for halflings. Interesting. Everyone knows if you want to make a kick-ass halfling, you make a halfling ranger. <laughs> halfling monk. I like that. Uh, I personally, uh, something I've done in the past uh, for the, uh, like, working for a dragon is uh, kobold monks. Which okay. no one expects a bunch of, like, robed kobold monks to come running down a tunnel. <laughs> but yeah. And yeah, yeah, no. And because of all of the halfling weapons, you can just go, hey, kobolds, <laughs> here's some nunchaku. But yeah. Anyway, uh, they get all kinds of uh, super cool abilities that I have no idea what any of them are. <laughs> well, one of the cool things is you can uh, weapons that are uh, ranged weapons, you can knock them out of the air. Okay, yeah. Or grab them. Yeah, I know that oh. there's uh, deflect missiles at third uh, third level and uh, but like unarmored movement I'm like, that's I don't know what. Uh, oh, at second level, your speed increases by ten feet when you're not wearing armor or a shield. Okay. And also, the the big thing um, is that you get to add your wisdom to your to your armor class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, and again, these are going to be unarmored characters. Yeah. Um, now, there's ways around that. So, like, the monk, there's, a, like, a dwarf that you automatically get armor. Uh-huh. So you could be, like, a full-armored dwarven monk. Okay. But then you're not going to get your bonus or yeah. your wisdom on your, your armor class. Okay. Yeah, but there's, like, uh, stunning strike, key-powered empowered strikes evasion stillness of mind pureness of body tongue of the sun and moon but yeah yeah and it's like the further you go on um like the more amazing of a of a of a person you are it's like at level 14 you ma- uh your mastery of key grants you proficiency in all savings throw. At level 15, your key sustains you, and you suffer none of the fertility of old age, and you can't be aged magically, and you can't die of old age. And also, you no longer need food or water. <laughs> and it just keeps going. <laughs> and, and, and in the first version, these were all ways of basically killing someone with by touching them. Yeah, yeah. So I think they, were, I think they did right to, to move away from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. Um, you can do all kinds of cool stuff, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I'm. Sometimes I've heard people say, "Oh, monks are OP," and for me, I'm like, I don't know. Um, I think monks are pretty awesome, but also at the same time, monks really can't have stuff. 
So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's 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 the way monks are generally played, though. That that like monks don't carry stuff around with them. It's, I don't know. Uh, that falls under uh, monastic well, tradition, but um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, and in A D and D, I think it limited you. You could only have ten magic items. It's like four potions, a ring, or something. Uh huh. A weapon, but it it, it spelled out exactly what you could care have. Wow, that that. I was thinking that's like more than I normally dish out to people because <laughs> I am really stingy with magic stuff. Uh, and I'm going the numbers off my head, but that's what okay. I remember. Okay. It, it was a limit. I thought it was 10. Ah, okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, anything else we have to say about uh, monks? No, I think that's it. All right. Uh, after that, we have the Paladin. Uh, Paladins are like holy knights for uh, a god. Uh, it's pronounced paladin, but I was having fun. Uh, like the fighter, it's a 1d10 per level. And, uh, yeah, uh, all armors, all shields, simple weapons, martial weapons, and uh, two skills from athletics, insight, intimidation, medicine, persuasion, and religion. Uh, yeah. Um, now, or, original, and they first came out in AD&D, and they may have been in a Dragon magazine, but the first I sure, saw was sure. in AD&D. They had two really hard, hard well, you had, they had to be lawful good, uh-huh. and they had to have a charisma of 17. Okay. And, and this was back when most people did the rolls, and, and, and I knew a guy, his first character, you know, he rolled up, and he got a charisma of seventeen, you know. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and it's oh, you you've got to you've got to be this paladin because it's so rare. And and he hated it. <laughs> he, he, he hated being good. So finally, the anti paladin came out in like one of the Dragon magazines. Yeah. So he became an anti paladin. Gotcha. Huh. That's fun. Yeah, um, they can do all kinds of stuff like lay on hands, learn fighting styles, spell casting, uh, divine smite, divine health. They have oaths upon this, um, auras upon that. I mean, it's 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 a lot of it's it's a lot of kind of like do gooder nonsense in my opinion. No, uh, cleansing touch. They're always uh, able to get rid of the undead really fast and. <laughs> so in, in a way, I think there there may be a, a combat step up on clerics. Sure, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're going up on your combat and down on your magic, but um, the laying on of hands now, I believe it's four points per level. Oh, okay. You can also take things like you know heal spells. Sure, yeah. Um, and the other thing is is the smite. Yeah, but paladins only get five levels of clerical spells, so or divine spells or whatever. But you get them back after your long rest. So hey, um, and, we... and if you use a smite, it counts as a a spell. Yeah, yeah, 
And uh, you don't get 5th level spells until 17th level. Uh, you get 4th level spells at 13th. You get 2 3rd level spells at 9th. Uh, 2 4th level... I mean, 2 2nd level spells at 5th. And at 2nd level, you get 2 uh spells and it doesn't look like you get any kind of cantrips but there's enough other things going on with divine sense and lay on hands divine sense ugh i do not like divine sense divine sense uh the presence of strong evil registers on the senses like a noxious odor the powerful good rings like heavenly music in your ears as an action you can you can tell if someone's evil or is, uh, yeah. Uh, you know their type, if they're like a, a celestial, a fiend, or the undead. And uh, within the radius, you can also detect the uh, presence of any place or object that has been consecrated or desecrated within the, uh, as, as with a uh, hollow spell. Uh, you can use this feature equal to your uh, one plus your charisma modifier, and you get it back if you take a long rest. So, divine sense. Uh, if you are uh, the dungeon master and you forget that someone's a paladin because they've been acting like a fighter or a cleric the whole time, uh, yeah, that can that can like uh, mess up your plans unless you've got a powerful necromancer who can cover that kind of stuff up. Um, or use proxies that have no idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's 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 my uh, DM uh, tip for the day. Um, yeah, but Divine Sense is kind of one of those really cool things. And Dave told us about uh, Lay on Hands. Any other cool things? They've got Divine Smite, Divine Health. Uh, Divine Smite, it's... Uh, Starts at like one d eight, I think, or is it two d eight? Um, it's one of the two. I think it. I thought it was two d, but okay. I could it be wrong. starts at two d eight. Divine smite, and you get that at second level, and it just goes up every once in a while, uh, up to I think a five d eight, and yeah, that's... But uh, but there's also spells that you can add. On it, like Thunder Smite, which yeah. gives you like Thunderclap mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. Lightning. So you can combine it. It's going to cost you two spell slots. Sure. But you could definitely enhance that. And it's really good for like boss battles or or final blows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at third level, uh, you've got, uh, you know, your, your, your god blood that makes you immune to diseases. So, you know... Hey, you're not getting diseased. Uh, after that, you get a... Also, you have a sacred oath, uh, which binds you as a paladin forever. And... Uh... And that, that that being immune to disease, I know some of the older games, for some reason, we have this just abnormal fear of mummy rot. <laughs> but, you know, the, but the paladin was like, ah... I'm immune to mummy rot. So he would, like, lead the attack on the mummies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez, no, no. I remember, like, being terrified of mummies and basilisks and anything that caused any kind of, like, serious status change. Like, you know, oh, yeah, you are you got mummy rot now. Or, oh, yeah, you're stone. Or anything that, like, someone had to go get a special potion for and you're in a dungeon and, like, two weeks away from anything and no one has a teleport. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, you get the ability of score, uh, score improvements, extra attacks, or of protection. Uh, whether, um, let's see, uh, what is that? That's, uh, what, how would you even describe? It's, it's like, cre friend, friendly creatures within 10 feet of you must make a saving throw. Creature gains a bonus equal to your charisma modifier. Uh, minimum bonus of plus one. You must be conscious to grant this bonus. And it goes up and increases to 30 feet. You get stuff like Aura of Courage at uh, 10th level. Uh, you can't be frightened while you're conscious. And uh, it slowly increases from 10 to 30 feet. Um, yeah, no, no. There's there's just pretty much uh, that kind of stuff. And, and, and I'll say I was playing last week. Yeah. Two weeks ago I was playing a, a, a paladin. And I used that on myself. Okay. And, and I, I just was it, unmodified it was like and i had um i had um advantage too and both they rolled the same i was one number behind my uh score for fear uh -huh. and because i used that on myself i just barely made the save no okay so one thing i wanted to talk about before we stop talking about paladins is you mentioned anti-paladins just briefly or are they called something else now? I can't well, remember. Well, there's, I think, Oathbreakers. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. that's what third, I was thinking. In third, they had the uh, Blackguard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, second edition, I knew it was Anti-Paladin, Blackguard, and now Oathbreaker. But whatever it is, it's, it's your Anti-Paladin. It's your uh, person who decides to transgress against the church sometimes just a little bit can be absolved with a vow but then there's some people who are just like i show no sign of repentance uh you you might be forced to uh adopt another class such as fighter or you may uh make it down the road of oathbreaker anti-paladin black god you live for suffering and pain or you just don't want to do what your god or you, who you chose as your god at the beginning. You 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 know, you're doing your own thing. <laughs> it, it can be defined a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of different things to do it. Uh, ask your DM what works best for you. Yes. But yeah, um, yeah. Something. And side effects of being a fallen paladin might be smiting your enemies, turning against you, your friends, turning against you, your enemies betraying you, people mocking you in the street, accidentally casting gears upon yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Um, after after paladin, of course, we have ranger, and I'm gonna let you take it away on ranger for a bit there. So ranger, I think, obviously. I think Gygax was thinking Arion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so originally, in the first AD&D, they had to be good. Yeah, yeah. You could not be neutral or evil. You had to be good. Yeah. And these were the not only, you know, skilled, the scouts and skilled, but they were also the protectors of the woods and forests. Sure, yeah. 
and that they had always had from the beginning sort of paladins were scaled down clerics rangers were scaled down druids yeah yeah definitely i always felt it was like uh how yeah paladin is cleric meets fighter uh ranger is like druid meets fighter but yeah and, and i think that they're i mean i they're a fun class much like druids mm-hmm. but <clears throat> they can be really nerfed if everything is underground oh yeah yeah uh yeah playing D D in high school and college uh, one of my friends, Bill, always played a ranger, so it was like, I never wanted to play a ranger, because Bill was going to pl- play a ranger, and why have two rangers in your party? Which, now I realize, two rangers in your party, that's awesome. That's like having two clerics in your party from two yeah. different gods that aren't mad at each other. Um, two rangers, like, oh, I'm a this ranger, well, I'm a this ranger, oh, cool, that's awesome. Like having an urban ranger and, like, a... Uh, just a basic uh, wood ranger of some sort. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so I, I think... And, and a lot of people, and they really work after the first printings of uh, uh, Five. Uh-huh. Uh, but they got a reputation as being sort of the least effective class. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think a lot of people, and is that old, old cheesy '80s fantasy uh, movie, uh, Beastmaster. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people sort of get their idea from, uh, you know, what a ranger might be. Personally, I kind of like as the monster slayer. Uh huh. Uh, I know a lot of people, I haven't played one, but the Horizon Walker gets teleporting. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I think that they really have worked hard to try to um, buff up, uh, to buff up the, uh, oh, uh, the Ranger class. Okay, okay. Huh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, one I think that that I like uh, the ranger. Two is sort of uh, is the gloom stalker. Oh, what's the gloom stalker? So uh, it was originally uh, a uh, advanced race or advanced uh, class. Basically, they're they're underground. Okay. So they they're like rangers for the underdark. Gotcha. I, I remember one that was uh, Dragon Magazine in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a Crypt Ranger, and I thought that was a really cool idea because I have so many undead in uh, my campaigns that I was like, hey, guys, look, Crypt Ranger. And everyone was like, no, we don't want to do that. That's what what happens when we, we leave your campaign. And I'm like, your characters are n- never leave my campaign. <laughs> you die no i'm not a killer dm but yeah no i i generally stick with an area and go with it and stick with the theme and go with it so but anyway uh, i was like trying to get them to go with that kind of stuff but i i've i've rejected it when 
dungeon masters have been like, hey, let's do this, everybody. And I'm like, no, we're in the middle of this campaign. Let's keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've done it, but I've also griefed people for it. Um, anyway, speaking of uh, favored enemies, <laughs> one thing that a ranger gets at first level is favored enemy, and that is like... Um, goodness it's 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 oh gesundheit uh favorite enemy it's like aberrations beasts celestials constru uh, constructs dragons elementals fey fiends giants monstrosities oozes plants or undead uh alternatively you can select two humanoid races such as gnolls or orcs or humans <laughs> so yeah um yeah, I, I, I want to be a ranger whose favorite enemy is oozes. <laughs> Ooze hunter. The oozologist, yes. <laughs> Two-handed attack, both clubs. <laughs> wood clubs, both are wood clubs. Because <laughs> you never know with oozes, either they're acids or they're electric or who, anyway. Um, yeah, they the get na natural. Oozologists will know. Yeah. Uh, natural Explorer uh, terrain doesn't slow you down. You don't get lost except for by magic. Um, you can forage, navigate, track with, uh, and also be alerted to danger. Uh, if you're traveling alone, you move more stealthily at a normal pace. When you forage, you find twice as much food. And when tracking other creatures, you learn their exact number, size, and how long ago they passed through the area. Uh, yeah, no. Um, and it's... it's uh, there's there's all kinds of cool stuff. There's, there's uh, fighting style, which again is like archery, defense, dueling... Uh, two weapon fighting. Uh, there's spell casting too. Uh, you also get different types of uh, ranger archetypes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with uh, what what other kind of stuff they get? I think we've pretty much got them covered. Okay. All right. Uh, the twentieth level uh, thing is called foe slayer, which I'm just trying to check out right now at 20th level you become an unparalleled hunter of your enemy uh at hold on one second uh once on okay at 20th level you become an unparalleled hunter of your enemies once on each of your turns you can add your wisdom modifier to your attack roll on the damage of an attack you make against one of your favorite enemies. You choose to use this feature before or after the roll, but before any of the effects of the roll are applied. But yeah, um, yeah, they get they get spells. It's kind of like uh, I don't know other other. Uh, it's it's kind of like how the paladin doesn't get spells until second level, and doesn't really get. Uh, it's it's basically the same. Uh, low spell progression that a paladin has and i don't know i think who who else has this like kind of uh crummy slow spell well, they progression boosted it up, but the bards were like that for okay. a long time yeah 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 okay okay yeah because i know it's 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 the ranger and the paladin that have this kind of like 
cheesy spell list because they're not full-blown magic users. But anyway, it's good to have that kind of stuff. And I feel, I personally feel that, um, pal not paladins, but uh, rangers aren't necessarily uh, as as crummy as people say they are. They're, they're equally as crummy as a paladin but without being such annoying. I don't know. It, it depends if, if, if you find religious people annoying. Or know, nature people. Or nature people. <laughs> you know, it's like, pick your poison. Um, let's see. And who else do we uh, are we talking about this week? Is that it? That's, I think that's our list. That's it. And next week, we've got some really great ones. We've got rogue, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. Kind of... Uh, the best of the best, in my opinion. I don't know. Save the best for the last. Yeah, definitely, R definitely. Ralph with you. Oh, I know, Ralph. Ralph likes to play a warlock, I've heard lately. So. <laughs> yes. All right, everyone. Uh, anything else you wanted to say about D&D before we... Uh... Uh, no, I'm, no, I'm excited about talking about our next... Uh, uh, our next... Uh, oh group of of classes though yeah yeah me too me too all right everyone thank you so much for listening to people's guide to the cthulhu mythos recorded here in oleander oregon at kzom uh you can find us at pgttcm.com we're on facebook we're on the instagram we're on the uh twitter and we are on the youtube we've got a bunch of different uh huh, we've got two youtube channels one hasn't been updated in probably about three years and another one that has stuff from the original start of the show and then has a big chunk missing out of it and then has 15th season and 16th season stuff on it so check those two out uh, one of them, if you it's non-Euclidean, it's non-Euclidean. One of them, if you subscribe to it, it will never update, but you'll be able to look at the back catalog. And one of them has a bunch of old stuff, and so we'll subscribe to both. Yeah, subscribe to both. Check them both out. And uh, thank you again so much. And if you want to check out what's going on with us, I do a lot of stuff on Instagram. I do a lot of stuff on Facebook, and I do a lot of stuff on. Twitter and we'll always have stuff going on and keep you updated on things like seeing us at the uh, Rose City Comic Con and also seeing us at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival or any screenings that are going on in town any horror trivia and by town I mean when I make it up to Portland uh, or horror films, uh, science fiction screenings, that kind of stuff, uh, trivia, horror trivia, that kind of stuff, and any other things that are going on, conventions, whatnot, film festivals. So we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you again for listening. Subscribe, like, share with your friends, and hit that like button and ring that bell and... Do what you want to do. Um, this show has been uh, edited and produced by me, D.B. Spitzer. Uh, middle segment by David Heath. And uh, all the other sections are by me, D.B. Spitzer, and David Heath. Uh, collectively, uh, Dungeons & Dragons is property of some multi-conglomerate massive company. Hasbro. Uh, 
Hasbro, um, <laughs> and we do not own D&D. Uh, music, as always, is by D.B. Spitzer. Thank you again, pgttcm.com. We'll talk to you next time, and goodbye. Bye. Thing, everything, 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 everything. Bye. Bye. That was a good episode. And also remember, check the show notes, click those links, and find out how you can support the show. We've got a Patreon. We've got a direct link to PayPal. We've got sponsors that you can buy. Donner is having some really good deals right now. And also, I would have to say, check out Copper Cow Coffee. And, uh... There's a Stone Ground chocolate company in there that you should check out called Taza. Uh, Stone Ground in Lovecraft Country. And, uh, yeah, they've got some really good flavors. They don't use dairy. They use uh, vegetable-based milk instead, so Mm. it's vegan. Taza chocolates, Somerset, Massachusetts. Uh, We've also got stuff from Curvy Girl. We've got Golden Goat CBD gummies and... uh, other stuff um and uh yeah if you're looking for a way to advertise on your website on your podcast whatever your projects are your youtube page uh why not go to share sale that's where i get all my sponsors from and pass the savings on to you you can find that you can advertise your projects you can advertise your website your products any of that stuff so check out the show notes and dave and i will see you next time anything you want to say before we uh head out into that night again i said that before but uh, yeah good night bye bye everyone oh music by db spencer you're listening to kzom oleander public radio